pray. Father, we do ask for your spirit to be with us. I pray that you would humble us and help us to see clearly ourselves, but also the wonder of the cross and that we would find our true value and worth in him and what he's done for us. Amen. I remember uh, many years ago I had a very significant knee injury. Uh, I grew up playing uh, many sports but not soccer but uh, when I was the minister or the assistant down at the last church I was at to get fit I thought I need to play some sports so I joined the church soccer team which was uh, in the end of the day a bad mistake. Uh, I'd played half a season and I sort of got interested and then I started the new season tried to get fit and I didn't learn how to tackle properly in soccer. Um, I got my body in the wrong position and a guy who was about 30 kilos heavier than me uh, took me out and my knee, you know how normally they kind of bend like that? Well, sideways it went like that and uh, it popped out to the side about 12 centimetres. Yeah, you can kind of feel that groan. Uh, I had a second degree medial ligament tear. I've lost 30% of the uh, meniscus and I totally destroyed the ACL ligament, the anterior cruciate. And so I had to get a reconstruction done after I'd had physio. It was about a six-month rehabilitation. And I remember being in the physio uh, because I spent many weeks there. And you kind of all get to know each other and what injuries you've got. And I would try and share about my faith. And I would mention that I'd worked at the church uh, up the road. And I remember one day sitting there talking about the fact that I was the minister of the church and uh, loved going. And this guy said, oh, do you go to that church? Uh, does Johnny go to that church? And he mentioned his name and Johnny was fairly well known. Uh, he was on the board of a Christian school uh, and he said, that man can't be a Christian. And you could just hear everyone in the room stop talking. Uh, there's about eight of us in there and he proceeded to tell us about Johnny from my church. Uh, I didn't really feel like witnessing and speaking about the Lord Jesus after that, it was a very powerful and very devastating thing to hear about. And of course, what he was talking about was hypocrisy. Uh, someone who was claiming to be Christian went to my church, but yet they knew him at work, and it was a very different picture. There's no doubt that the greatest advertisement for the Christian faith is Jesus. Uh, he is the one we need to keep talking about. He's the one who is full of wisdom, grace, love, acceptance, forgiveness. Uh, he is the one who teaches with an authority. He is the one who is the Son of God. And he is the one who can change and transform our lives with incredible power. But yet, as powerful as and commending as Jesus is to the faith, um, his followers sometimes are not. And yes, there are significant numbers of people who, through the persistent and consistent witness of Christians, um, have come to see the reality of Christ. Uh, they've met people who are humble in their outlook on life. They've met people who are content in this materialistic world. Uh, they've met people who are servants of all around them. And they're concerned for more than themselves. They embody the life of Jesus in all they do because Christ lives in them, but yet... Um, for all the Christians are like that, I'm sure you know many other inquirers in the world are put off by the persistent yet inconsistent witness of some other followers of Jesus. Uh, they meet people who profess faith in Jesus but are really concerned for themselves, not others. 
Uh, They meet people who say they're Christians, but the reality is they're proud and not humble. They meet people who say they're Christians, but they are users and consumers in life. Uh, They're not content with what they have, but rather they are like everyone else on the highway of consumerism. And they are, in one word, hypocrites. And I know I've said this uh, at church before, the word hypocrite comes from the language of Greek theatre. It means to play a role. Uh, It was a neutral word at one level. It's taken on a very negative sense because, you see, it's okay to play a role in a play. You step into that and you move away and you're a different person, but when life happens and you're purporting to be one thing, but in reality you're another, there's right cynicism. And we come to really one of the most powerful passages to critique hypocrisy in the Gospels. Uh, if I could make some introductory observations. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to get them open. Uh, we're page 1030, Luke chapter 11. Uh, I think it's page uh, 1030. And we're starting from verse 37. I'm going to miss the introductory part to just focus on Jesus' woeful sermon. He did preach a woeful sermon. Uh, he actually preached a couple of them. And so if I can say a couple of words of introduction, when you hear Jesus, typically people think of the Jesus who welcomes and accepts people with love and grace. And that is one of the powerful pictures you have of the Lord Jesus when you engage with him in the pages of Scripture and you read the Gospels. You see the man who is dealing with the woman caught in adultery and you've got these men who are self-righteous and they want to stone her. And Jesus comes in, diffuses the whole situation and with words of grace and acceptance does not condemn her but says, go now and leave your life of sin. She's transformed. Uh, We're going to see of a rich, very significant leader in the community who everyone hated. His name was Zacchaeus. He was despised and yet Jesus transformed him. He went and had lunch with him. Everyone else thought the pits of him. And as he met with Jesus, his life was changed and he leaves and starts to repay people the ones he'd ripped off. But yet there's another side to Jesus which is part and parcel of who he is as the Son of God. He stands and condemns people and judges people and if I can say in particular, he speaks words of woe. And we've seen this in chapter 6, words of woe to those who are rich, comfortable and self-satisfied in the world in their life without God. In Matthew 23, he speaks words of woe to those who are leaders and are hypocrites. And he speaks words of woe here to the Pharisees and to the lawyers. Now, it's an interesting word, woe. It can be a word of compassion. Um, You see someone who's sick. I saw a picture this morning of little Gia Heptonstall and you think, woe. She's been through hell and back. Uh, She's had a terrible virus, been at Ramwick Kids Hospital. Then she got allergic to the penicillin as she was just starting to get better and a terrible virus and rash over the whole body. And you think, whoa, you poor person. And our hearts go out to the family and to her. Uh, That's not the woe that Jesus is bringing here. This is woe. How dare you? And I'm not preaching because I think I'm in a den of vipers here. Okay, it's just, I just want to put that one out there. Woe, St Matthew's 10 o'clock congregation. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. 
But let me say, we need to hear this word. Because perhaps in us, there are Pharisees. Perhaps we struggle with being a hypocrite. Perhaps I struggle with being a hypocrite. Uh, This is a very heavy word that we need to take stock of our own lives. What's the reality of my public persona against the inward reality of who I am? Well, let's have a look. Because you see, in this sermon, he condemns religious hypocrisy. The setting is a meal, as so often is the case in Luke's Gospel. Let me read from verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to speak, to eat with him. And so he went in and reclined at the table. Now, whenever you see Jesus at Pharisee's house, normally there is some kind of action and conflict. And you say, so you wonder, what's going to happen on this occasion? We've already seen the occasion when he had uh, with Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman. Well, what happens at this time? Well, the Pharisee notices, verse 38, that Jesus did not first wash for the meal and was surprised. Uh, To say he's surprised, he's thinking, this is a religious person, surely he should have washed himself. Now, it's worth asking why he would think that. Culturally, in the Old Testament times, in the ancient Near East, it was very normal that when you entered a house, you would wash and water would be provided. Let me read to you from Genesis 24. It's when Abraham sends his servant out to find a wife for his son Isaac and he's there with Laban's family. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. And when you read through the Old Testament, it's very clear, it's a very common practice. There's about 10 references there for when people go in and they have their feet washed and their hands washed. Uh, Think of dusty roads, think of sandals. It's just kind of been clean. There was one significant moment, though, when they set up the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. God instructed that Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and feet with water. You see, as priests, they had to be clean when they met with God. And it said, whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they shall not die. Now, what was being taught there, the priests had to clean themselves. Why? Because, you see, they were symbolically shown to the people that they would be cleansed on behalf of the people. And it should have communicated to the people of God that there would be one who would come, who would be clean, and who would be that on behalf of the people. That is the Lord Jesus. But you see, what did happen was a ritual began. Israel and their leadership, the Pharisees and the scribes, thought that, well, to be clean before God, I need to clean myself. And so they look at this person who purports to be a teacher and religious leader, the Lord Jesus, and think, why doesn't he clean himself? This is wrong before God. They've taken what was just a cultural practice and given it religious significance that it was never meant to have. And the Lord Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he said to him, verse 39, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, But inside, actually, you're full of greed and wickedness. In other words, you're looking at me because I haven't washed my feet, I haven't washed my hands. Have a look at yourself. Yeah, you've got clean hands, you've got clean feet, but look at what's inside you. Actually, there's just greed 
and wickedness. You haven't been cleansed in the way God requires. Verse 40, you fools. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But what is inside the dish? Actually, give that to the poor and everything will be clean for you. You see, the Pharisees, they were religious, if I can put it this way. Their concern was that they looked right externally, that they had this external righteousness, that they performed religious acts to make themselves presentable to God. The problem is they had no concern for the heart and the cleansing that the heart requires. And we can't divide our lives into an inner life and an outer life, between appearance and substance, between public and private. And Jesus is saying, you may be externally clean, but internally, actually, you're greedy and you're wicked. And so Jesus says, you're a fool. Hello, doggy. Goodbye, doggy. It's a very nice dog if you didn't get to see. Obviously feeling lonely. Now, I mention this because the gospel is not about what we do to cleanse ourselves. The gospel is a message about what God has done to cleanse us. It's about what his son has done, who is the great high priest, has done to cleanse us. You see, he is the only clean human being inside and out. And he lived that life so that we could have that life ourselves as he takes our life to the cross. Religion is about trying to justify yourself before God on the basis of what I've done. And Jesus launches into this stunning critique of hypocritical religion. And it's good for us to sit and listen and ask, in what ways are we like this? And if I can sum it up, empty religion to Jesus is heartless, it's proud, it's hypocritical, it's blind. Let's have a look at verse 42. It's heartless to start with. You see, the nature of religion is it causes you to look inward, to self-justify. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I right before God? Verse 42, Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, yes, uh, you go out to your herb garden and you pick off a basil leaf and say, I've got nine, here's one for you. Uh, here's my coriander plant, I'll take one stem off, there's nine others left. But you have no concern to love God or love people because what you're really on about is seeking to justify before God that you've fulfilled a certain set of rules and obligations, in this instance, with finance. And he talks about tithing and Jesus does not dismiss tithing, he says I should you should practice the latter. And tithing was about giving 10%, it was tempting. And there's a number of references there in the Old Testament. And it was done primarily to support, the, if I can say, the ministry of the day as they gave to the priests and the Levites. It was also so they would have a concern for the poor and needy in the land. He says, don't stop doing that, but what you need to do is actually be transformed in how you view God and the world around you. You need to love God from your heart 
not by just thinking I've fulfilled a set of rules. And you need to pursue justice. In other words, a concern for people because justice is about helping people get what they should get. It's actually about caring for those who don't have to ensure they do. That's what justice is. You see, religion has no heart. It's heartless. It's concerned with the justification of the self, not a service of the other. And when you're focused on justifying yourself through your religion, I'm doing the right thing, you don't look out on the world and see its need. You don't have a concern and broken heart for people who are living in injustice. Only the gospel has the power to give us heart as we meet the living, forgiving, gracious God and he pours out his love into our hearts. Are we then able to love those who are the unlovely, who are the needy, who are the lost? Religion produces cold and heartless people. Generosity and concern for the needy comes when we know how needy we are before God and how generous he has been in giving to us who are blind, poor sinners. Well, secondly, empty, hypocritical religion is proud. Have a look at verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Now, it's interesting, when you become self-righteous, what happens is um, you justify your behaviours producing within you a righteousness that in a sense, earns you credits. Uh, You're respectable. And you start to have this sense of entitlement. Look at me. Look at how righteous I am. And so you feel entitled to certain things. One is respect. Uh, One is, well, I should have a good name. One is I should have a good position in the world that I live in. And Jesus is critiquing that. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplace, you have this sense of entitlement, that you're entitled to be looked after and to be looked up to. And let me say, entitlement is a terrible thing in leadership. When you think for some reason you're entitled to stuff because you're the leader. And you're righteous. And Christians can become like that, that sense of entitlement. You're proud of yourself and your achievements. And what happens is you like to be seen. I deserve it. I deserve to be honoured. People should realise how hard I work. People should see what God is doing through me. And so we don't play for the audience of one who's in heaven. We play for the audience of many who surround us. And so we fear people and seek their approval and not fear God and seek his approval and his mercy and his love and forgiveness. And that's exactly what happened in Jesus' day with these self-righteous hypocrites. They were heartless leaders and they were proud. And when you put self-righteousness with pride, you always end up with hypocrisy because, you see, you're blind to your faults. Verse 46, the scribes now weigh in because they're offended Jesus then takes aim at them. Okay, let me talk to you. Woe to you, 
you scribes, you experts in the law. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did and they killed the prophets. And you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that's been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Two things on view here. First, Jesus is critiquing the scribes for the way they are putting burdens on people without being willing to help them. You see, they were instructors. Leadership is a fraught position. It's always fraught with danger. You have far more responsibility when you're leading. And it's very true in the Christian church. And these people were leaders in their day. And he's critiquing them. And he's saying, you're hypocrites. You're not doing it yourself, yet you're telling others to do it. You won't help them. It's absurd. And he said, look, have a think about the prophets. Your forefathers killed them and what are you doing? You're building tombs for them. In other words, you're endorsing the death of them by now burying them. You build their tombs. You're just like your forefathers. You don't listen to the word of God, but yet you claim to speak the word of God. Religious hypocrisy is a terrible sin. It is saying this is the way to live under God. It is saying I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I know the way. While not practicing it yourself. It's a sin that's particularly relevant, as I said, for anyone in Christian leadership positions because you see people look to us and they make judgments about the Christian faith based on how we live. Not on our profession. What they look is, you profess this, but this is how you live. Do they see a consistency? Now, none of us are perfect. That needs to be said. All of us are fallen and we will struggle. But when they meet us, do they meet humble people who keep pointing to the cross and the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus and an honesty about our weakness and failings? as we go through life or do they meet people who are proud and self-righteous and have a sense of entitlement and a sense of look at me aren't I a good Christian religious hypocrisy can be terribly damaging and it's damaging often for the people who most need to hear about the Lord Jesus Because when the world sees Christian hypocrites, it is a terrible turn-off. May God save us from that. Lastly, he says, actually, you're blind. And you see, it follows, doesn't it? When you've got this sense of heartlessness and pride and hypocrisy, you become blind to who you are. You can't see your faults. Verse 44, woe to you. Because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. He's saying you've become a death trap. You are blind, so blind, you're leading others astray. 
He's saying that the Pharisees are leaders of spiritual uncleanness whose teaching people leads to death. They think they're leading their followers into life, but in fact the opposite of true. Like unmarked graves which men walk over and stumble into without realising it. Why do you experts of the law? Because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who are entering. In short, these leaders are blind. If I could sum up what Jesus is saying, it's this. Religious hypocrites are self-righteous. They think they'll be okay before God because of what they have done. But all this does is to delude them as to what their real spiritual state is. They are fooled by their religion. They've been blinded by their spiritual pride. As a result, they have no genuine concern for people in need. They're heartless in their relationships with the world. And they will tell people to do one thing while doing the complete opposite as they blindly lead people away from the living God. How do we stop being hypocrites? That's the question that came to me as I prepared. How do you not be like this? Because I think all of us have the capacity in some way, shape or form to fall into it. Here's what I want to say to us. There's a very strong theme that runs through the Bible. It says God is opposed to the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. The way to escape hypocrisy is to keep looking at the cross and it's to keep coming before our Lord Jesus on our knees before him at the cross and to gaze and reflect upon what he's done and to realise that we come to God with empty hands. We come to God with nothing to offer. Uh, We come to God poor, pitiful, blind sinners who have no merit of their own and who stand on sinking sand without Christ. He is the only solid rock that we can stand on. All other ground is sinking sand. He is the cornerstone. And friends, we must keep grazing at the cross and stay anchored to it. God opposes the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. He'll give grace to people who recognise their need of him, who recognise their failings, who recognise their sin. And he will forgive us and accept us. He will transform us and love us. He will call us to leave our past ways and in his strength by the Holy Spirit live for him so that we don't present a hypocritical view to the world but rather we present a picture of love and grace and forgiveness. Friends, let us not be hypocrites. Let us hear the word of God and be the humble whom God gives grace to. And let us be people who every day kneel at the foot of the cross for our love and our forgiveness and our justification and our worth. Friends, we have a wonderful saviour. May we walk with him every day. Let us pray.
Father, I thank you for your love. It is amazing. Father, humble us so that we know your love in our life. We are broken. We are weak. And it's only in your strength can we be strong. 